What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is Dart Against Humanity, episode 42. I was trying to figure out what to name this episode. I was going back and forth between a similar title to a piece I wrote uh, for Knowledge Darts back when it was on Mass Appeal. I believe I wrote it September 2017, um, but it was basically about my age. Um, and like turning 42. So I believe I, it was called uh, 42, the meaning of life, the universe and everything, which is a reference to um, the sci-fi book um, by Douglas Adams, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I don't think I ever completed it because I felt it was a little too British. Now, that's going to sound weird from somebody when you were broke and you were born in the 70s. And you lived in a t- at a time where we had UHF, VHF, no cable. Uh, you were broke, but you were automatically cultured. Why? Because that means you watched a lot of PBS. Because PBS um, came in clear. And it came in clear on two different channels in Boston. Channel 2, Channel 44. And you kind of became an Anglophile because you watched things like Benny Hill, uh, Red Dwarf, uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus, uh, uh, Faulty Towers. So we got a lot of BBC shows. Uh, later on, you know, we finally got into Desmond's. I used to go over to my dad's house. My dad had cable. He lived in um, Dorchester, or like around Geneva Ave. And, <clears throat> and so we watched the show Desmond's. Um, there was just a lot of British television and British humor that we learned early on. And it came really quickly. Like it was fast and a lot of times it was dry and it was just a lot of things were sardonic and quips and said really quickly and you had to catch them. So it made you have to develop wrinkles in your brain. Uh, if you watch episodes of Benny Hill and imagine being a young person who doesn't understand the references that they're making in Benny Hill. Because a lot of the humor was um, about British history. And this isn't something that they, we were taught ever. So we were wondering why so many of, this, so many of the settings for, for the comedy was 1066. Or, you know, uh, Cornwallis, you know, during the Hundred Years' War. Like, what the hell is going on here? So, being young children... Our mom did this thing, I believe I, uh, I discussed this on a previous episode, where she got these things called, the at the time they were called the Groyers uh, World Dictionary or Encyclopedias. And she had the entire set of encyclopedias. And they would come like every month. It'd be a new installment. We had a bookshelf. We put them all there. We had like the 1980 and 81 um, uh, year in review books. So a lot of times we would end up in those uh, source resource books, you know, so we didn't always have to take the trek to the library. You know, we could actually, you know, just do some research right there in our home. And there was, okay, again, there was no Internet I grew up at a time when there were people who were actually Google. Hey, what happened in 1967 when this, 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 and this? You know, you can't just like pull up 
a stat sheet from a website, you know, sports reference was not something that you could just this happen unless you knew somebody who had a bunch of old dusty books where they could just pull it out, flip to the page and just uh, game four, you know. But that book was so British that even I had trouble like finishing it. There were just things that was like I'd have to read three times. Like what? This sequence just made no sense. <clears throat> that being the case, this being episode forty-two, I'm more than likely I'm gonna call it the um the Al Horford the Al Horford episode. But I don't know if I 100% want to do that because that doesn't make sense on the surface. Yes, the Celtics are going into the playoffs, but yes, he wears number 42. But what exactly does that encompass? Um, yesterday, I had a full day. I started off uh, the morning. I was uh, writing bios, artist bios. But in the afternoon, um, Brandon uh, Matthews of Show Off Marketing was going to be part of a music and data panel at a general assembly, which is not too far from me at 125 um, Summer Street. Now, I've walked by the building several times, never been inside. Get in for the first time, go upstairs. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, We get into the space, uh, meet a whole bunch of people that work in... um, Data in the in the music field, you know, they deal with what they call AI, but what several people on the panel explained is that the word AI is an oversimplification. It's a lot of data relating to something, but it's not necessarily AI because it's not like the AI can make music on its own. So it's not officially really AI. It's just a buzzword that people tend to use so they don't have to further explain what it is. But it was a really interesting discussion. I learned a lot from it. It was an excellent panel. Um, And then I saw a list of the other things that they have coming up. And it's so technical that I would just be sitting there like, what? Why am I here? So I was asking myself, like, how come I've never been here before? And then I looked, it's like the, the discussions they have are so technical. And it's like a campus where people come and they spend time there and then they become alumni. And maybe they come back to share information. And I'm like, I don't think I have anything to offer in this field yet. So I was like trying to figure out why it is I'd never been there. And, you know, after looking at the list of upcoming topics and discussions and panels that they have, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's it's very likely I didn't I wasn't going to be around this piece before. So fast forward a couple hours later, we end up at um, STL Gold. Again, I was at Bull Market in Somerville. I feel like I'm going to be there a lot during the spring and summer. Uh, Bow Market, Somerville, uh, Vinyl Index was having the STL Gold's uh, vinyl release party. 
This morning, they announced that they're actually going to be part of the Summer Jam, which is happening June 1st. Um, that announcement came at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, I also swung by Union Sound, which is going to officially be open on Record Store Day. Record Store Day is huge. That's happening Saturday. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. <clears throat> so, Record Store Day is going to be Saturday. Today's Friday, the 12th. Saturday's the 13th. Um, Patriots Day is the 15th. That's the day of the Boston Marathon. Now, these of all, this is all a stretch of time for Bostonians where the tourists come into town and my neighborhood is the backdrop for it. So we're going to have tourists come to town. Everybody's going to be walking the marathon path and taking pictures by the finish line and all these uh, wonderful things, which was something that we loved and we enjoyed great freedoms. Two of the greatest days in Boston previous to the um the marathon bombing in 2013 were Patriots Day and the 4th of July. There were just days people would just roam the city freely and and without inhibitions and almost this thing where it's like we're a walking city, we're a small city, we're open to the world and everybody can just come and enjoy you know this city just walking free and going wherever you want what the bombing changed was now like you'll go somewhere there'll be like stations full of armed people and all this other stuff and while to some people they feel like oh I feel safe now to some segments of the population they don't I'm part of that segment of the population. The more I see people with guns and armor just looking for someone suspicious, the less safe I feel. Because oftentimes I'm somebody who ends up being asked questions. Years ago, I was walking through the mall, the same mall I walk through every day. I live in um, South End, Lower Roxbury, Back Bay area. Yeah, all three because everything's connected in the city. The Copley, uh, Copley Place and the Prudential Center are um, connected by a walkway, which is pretty much in my backyard. So if I was to go to the, the back of my building, walk, there's the Southwest Corridor Mall, or um, and right there is the entrance to Copley, Copley Place. Walk through Copley Place, Copley Place connected. So if I'm coming from anywhere, let's say I'm coming down, um, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, everybody has Google Maps now, you could look it up. So if I'm coming down, let's say Boylston Street, I can cut through the mall, Drop me off right behind my house. I'm home. So no matter which way I'm coming from or going to, I can always cut through the mall. Years ago, 
I'm actually cutting through the mall because what happens is the day of the marathon, they uh, close off side streets and they close off side streets because that was the easiest way to try to track down who the bombers were or to do the investigation easier. Because this was a, a crime scene and a half. <clears throat> so I'm actually forced to cut through the mall because I can't go through the other side streets that I typically use because they're closed off. So as I'm cutting through the mall, I get stopped and questioned about things I didn't do at all. Like they're trying to like corner me and it's like four dudes. And I'm just like, why are you stopping me? I actually live here. Like they're tourists. I saw drunk dudes. I saw all these other people that you could have been harassing. It's like, why are you harassing me? Somebody, the person who's lived here for 40 years. It's like I show them my ID, show them where I live. All that. They scan my ID. I was like, did you need to scan my ID? And then they let me go because they had nothing. They're like, why did you do this, 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 and this, and this, and this on this street? I'm like, I didn't. Where did you get that information from? It was really annoying. And I was like, why are there four dudes around me? And everything happening everywhere else. So finally they let me go. I was just about to get to the stairs, the escalator down, get out and be home. I was like, I'm three minutes from my apartment. What could you possibly want from me? So they let me go, realized they had nothing. And that just pissed me off for the rest of the day. It just fucked up my entire mood. And it just had me think that, like, there's so many people who are in this city enjoying themselves. So many people who live here who are enjoying themselves. So many businesses that are thriving because of the um, the boom given to them by uh, tourists and everything else. Meanwhile, here I am, somebody who lives in this neighborhood and has for my entire life. And I'm like, uh, just dreading. The possibilities of what could come. But again, this happened years ago. Hasn't happened since. But you never know. But yeah, April is going to be a busy month all around. Um. The Bruins are in the playoffs. The Celtics will begin the playoffs soon. And the Red Sox are back. That alone is going to bring a serious energy to the city. Because we haven't had the Bruins in the playoffs in a long time. Uh, this might be the end of the Celtics as we've known them for the past couple of years. And, you know, the Red Sox being back. It's the 15th anniversary of them winning the first World Series in 86 years. And they're actually defending world champions. Sure, they're 4-9 now, but I don't feel like that's going to stay the case for much longer. Especially after their win last night. There's just so much happening. So, okay, um... Today's the 12th, so 
the week kind of kicked off with me doing the first interview and in what's going to be the Boston Legends podcast. Trying to set up more interviews and then we're going to have pieces that we're going to use for um, promotional purposes. We don't want to just do the episode, throw the audio out there. No. We want to do things the right way because this subject matter uh, needs to be treated in the manner that it deserves because no one's done it before. Representation, especially in this city, has always been a tough issue. When I see something's being done about Boston, I kind of roll my eyes or sigh because I know that someone's going to get the short end of the stick and the whole story isn't going to be told. I just know that going in, regardless of what the actual story is, because I just know someone's going to be left out. And it's always been an issue. Um, There was a documentary done by ESPN, uh, Celtics versus Lakers, the best of enemies. Um, It was voiced by, on one side, Ice Cube. Good choice. And on the other side, it was voiced by... um, uh, One of the... um, One of the uh, the brothers from uh, New Kids on the Block, Joey, not Joey, Joey's not one of the brothers, uh, Donnie and um, the other one. I think the guy who's on um, Blue Bloods, anyway, he was, the vo- he was the voice. And I was pissed off because I was like, if there was anyone else who you could have chosen, I think the perfect choice was Michael Bivens. How you going to have Ice Cube on one side? And then one of the new kids on the block on the other side. Why don't you get Mike Bivens? Anyway. And what happened is the stories get told. All these things happen. You know, uh, there's no input from any brown people from Boston. At all. And it's very noticeable if you're from Boston. If you're not, you think it's, you think it's hey, perfectly fine. They're getting both sides. They are not getting both sides. And then they let one thing slip, which drove me insane. Magic Johnson said that he was in the airport and a black dude from Boston came up to him and said, we don't root for the Celtics and Roxbury, we root for the, the Lakers. I almost jumped out of my skin. And I said, bullshit. I almost lost it. I had to, like, I was getting a tension headache because this is the same thing that always happens. And I was waiting for someone who's an actual Bostonian who was alive at the time, who was a Celtics fan, to say, nah, that person was exaggerating. I grew up at this time, this is the time, 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 time. We used to watch the Celtics games. Uh, We would uh, turn on the radio turn up the radio, turn down the volume of the actual of the actual games cuz I believe they showed the games on um either channel 25, 38 or 56. Um 
56 was W-L-V-I-L-V-I is part of living, living 56, dun, 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 dun. Um, 25, W-F-X-N-E, or did they change that when it was Fox? Or did they change it to W-F-X-T when it was Fox? Either way, um, yeah, Channel 25, then there was Channel 38 who was um, W-S-B-K. I believe Channel 38 used to show Bruins games. I'm not sure, but at some point, 60, Channel 68 used to actually show games. I don't know if they were college or what, but I'll go back and look. But we would watch the Celtics on television with the radio up and listen to Johnny Most. All anybody would be talking about was the Celtics game the next night. Now, mind you, back in these days, we used to actually watch the Bruins, too, because you didn't have, but what, eight, nine channels? So if the Bruins were playing at night, we watched the Bruins. We watched the Celtics. Uh, if the Red Sox game, I think the Red Sox played on um, 68 or 38, we would watch the Red Sox. I remember my brother and I would actually watch the game and try to see if we could see our brother who actually worked at Fenway Park during the um, 87 and 88 season, those two seasons. Um, we could actually see him down hanging out in the dugout or next to the field hanging out with like Lee Smith or or Ellis Burks or Sam Horn or any of those guys but there's always been an issue with representation in anything related to Boston so that was the mindset that we went in when we did again Boston Legends we wanted to get people to tell stories that we know because we complain about them not getting shine anywhere else. All the people we had that matriculated from Boston went out there, um, worked at ESPN, Fox, any other network. They never thought to tell these stories or make these uh, stories, you know, documentaries or what have you for whatever station, even though they had the power to do it. And probably had the connections and knew the people to, to contact, but they never reached out to certain segments of the community. That's why right now, um, Cousin Stiz being the voice of the Boston Celtics and doing a song for the Boston Celtics is mind-blowing. Uh, five years ago, uh, I remember seeing Dutch Rebel on the cover of the um, Improper Bostonian. That completely changed everything in my brain. That, it, it, it was like when you're a skateboarder and you land a trick that you think is impossible and all the other skateboarders see it and they're like, wait, you can do that? So now it sparks them to do something different and reach, and reach for higher heights and do things that people thought weren't attainable before. Now, um, just recently, you look at the, the cover of The Dig. Hefe Replay is on the cover of The Dig. At the same time Hefe Replay was on the cover of The Dig, you still you could go back and see the improper Bostonian. This is on the cover of the improper Bostonian. This is not something that I thought was something that would happen even back in 2009 when I was writing. And I was just pissed off that we couldn't break through. I mean, if you can get your foot in the door and get in the door and crack it open and get people in, take the door off the hinges. So, 
I could we couldn't sit around and wait for someone else to be like, hey, maybe we can convince somebody to do this, convince somebody to do that, convince somebody to do that. It just got to be a point where it was like, this is do it. And then let them realize how how they messed up on their own. You stop waiting for people to save you. Be the change you want to see. One of the other things is, again, um, I've talked about this a few times in the previous episodes of the podcast. Um, I grew up at a time where Boston's funk community and the funk all-stars were huge, not just in this region, but in music, period. They were highly influential, even though you don't hear people say it a lot. Uh, One day I'm going to actually do a full project, whether it be a book, documentary, whatever, about it. Uh, Sparked by, again, me watching a documentary called Finding the Funk by Nelson George. And he covers all these different regions, all these different cities, all these areas with these prominent funk bands. These legendary um, funk innovators. And I noticed when he's going through the list of cities on the Eastern Seaboard, the Midwest, down to the, you know, West Coast. I'm like, wait, did he? Wait, this um, beat it? He missed Boston. And it really pissed me off because one of the... um, people that contributed is Arthur Baker from Boston member of several Boston funk outfits like North End where do you think the North End is? North End's Boston the four Boston store is in the North End when we were young we used to walk to the North End to visit our friends in the North End from the South End to the North End It's not that long. Boston's not that big. Uh, He was in bands like Glory. Another Boston funk band. Uh, Planet Patrol. Another Boston funk group. Um, Which had members of the Energetics. Legendary Boston funk group. From the Johnson crew. Who are the Johnson brothers. Who were in Boston from 1972 to infinity. Who had a young kid who they were going to make the Prince of Boston. Or the Prince of Boston. 1978, 79 Prince. Prince of Boston. Prince Charles Alexander who is actually still in Boston today. Teaching at Berkeley College of Music. Um, who incidentally I have to talk to soon. You know, there's just like a laundry list of people that did amazing things. And one day I'm going to actually have them tell their story. Tony Rose. Uh, 
and they get overlooked time and time and time again. Because if we're looking for the mainstream or someone else to value what we did when we know what it is, we need to tell these stories. And one of the um, things that we were being told constantly at the General Assembly uh, Music and Data panel was that this is a time where things are in complete disarray. Uh, people at labels don't necessarily know what they're doing. So instead of waiting around for somebody to recognize the value of something, be proactive, be creative, and do it. That was the prevailing theme of the day. And I wholeheartedly agreed. Typically, when you read um, books about what happens when there's upheaval or when things are chaotic, it typically breeds opportunity. This is one of those chaotic up in the air times where it's just full of opportunity and you can do whatever. And the beauty of now versus previous times is that if something wasn't working, you had to stop, scale back. Uh, you had to completely come up with a new plan and then relaunch and then do it again. Nowadays, you can change things on the fly in the digital era. Oh, this isn't working. Drop that, drop that, do this. All right, now push this, push it this way. All in a matter of hours, as opposed to having to wait weeks. Back in the days, if you put out a record and the record wasn't doing well or whatever, you had to go back to printing press, go to studio, you had to do the next single, do this, do the remix or whatever. Uh, then you had to send it out here, get this here, approve it here, then send it out to the presses, uh, press this many, send them out to DJs. Uh, hopefully they get they play it. When they start playing it, you got to wait for the numbers to come back to see if it's um, gaining at, at radio. If it is, uh, then you got to do the push. You push it more. And I read old, old issues of Billboard. The industry, there was so much going on. Nowadays, you just drop something, delete it, delete that file, upload another file, send out another um, mass, e send out another mass email or or, or or blast or whatever, and bam, there you go. All that work that you had to do back in the days is gone, and now that's going. That's the new thing. Or hey, let's just do a remix. Do this on top of it. Do another verse. Do this. Shoot another video. Whatever. Bam, bam, bam. Throw that out. A day, two days later, this is doing something. And the weird era of um, influence, influencer culture, too, that they talk about <clears throat> was something else, too. was another uh, thing. They were just talking about, like, how everything is based on influencers and um, gatekeepers. I mean, it kind of always was, but everything was slightly different. Whereas I've done a bunch of writing and a lot of research and it comes down to there are certain people who were just highly influential. And if they gave the go ahead, everybody else 
ran along with it. Whether it be uh, DJs like Frankie Knuckles or Larry Levan or remixers like um, Tom Moulton or John Luongo. Uh, <clears throat> guys like Arthur Baker, uh, uh, the Johnson crew, Michael Johnson and um, Maurice Starr, whether it be guys like uh, Jellybean Benitez, Shep Pettibone, the Latin Rascals, uh, Anthony uh, Tony Carbone, uh, whether it be people at radio. Like um, Frankie Crocker, uh, Donnie Simpson, uh, Sonny Joe White. Just these names. These are names of people who had influence. And if they said something was that was it, Mr. Magic. Uh, cool DJ Red Alert. <clears throat> if these people... Uh, awesome, um, awesome too. Special K and Teddy Ted. If these people um, said this was the record, or they premiered it, or they played it, whether it be in a club or on the radio, that song was out of here. Nowadays, you know, everything's about a playlist. Or you get some celebrity influencer to play it on their IG story or Snapchat or do something to that effect. Now you instantly have all these people and all these listeners and they feel like that's bigger than having or the equivalent of having somebody whose people's who's people's who people trust their taste and have trust in. And believe in and have given the authority because uh, difference being they've earned it they have a track record going back decades to come up with the new thing or what's hot uh, too often everybody wants the results now as opposed to working up to them so it's just really weird because nobody really cares about the journey. They just want the destiny. They just want to be at the destination. You know, if you could just transport me there now, wham, I just want to be there. Forgetting that what keeps you there is a lot of it has to do with the journey that you took to get there. I mean, everybody wants to have a global hit. Eiffel 65 had one in blue. What happened after that? <clears throat> I do feel like Eiffel 65's blue became a hit really quickly everywhere at the same time. And it was a horrible song horrible song oh and the video was worse good lord the video was horrible i was working at um newberry comics as a holiday hire uh right around 
Thanksgiving 1999 all the way up until past um, New Year's Day 2000. The amount of young girls who came up to me and asked me for that song hurt my heart. Then again, you know what else was out at the time? Like, A-teens, S-Club 7, Hoku. Y'all remember Hoku. Hoku, I think, is Don Ho's daughter. She was a horrible singer, really tall, blonde girl from Hawaii. She couldn't dance, and they tried to make her, like, a dance sensation. It was really weird. Um, She had a song, Another Dumb Blonde, and I was like, uh... Then her album came out and she had a song called The Burrito Song, which is easily one of the worst songs we ever heard. We used to play it like in the store and then laugh, double over with laughter because the album was so horrible. And then they would take it off and they would play like um, uh, La Tigre or Bell and Sebastian or um, Basement Jacks or Daft Punk. Oh, <clears throat> a hot record at the time was... um. Uh, Midnight Vultures by Beck. I stepped to you with a fresh pack of gum. That that was uh, at the time. Prince's Raven to the Joy Fantastic. Um, I'm sorry, my brain. I remember everything that ever happened ever. Um, oh, I remember what else came out. Uh, what had just come out was Q-Tip's Amplified album. So we played the clean version a lot in the store. During that stretch of time. I mean, when I worked at Tower, there were the albums that we knew we were going to play because we just knew that, like, the people in the store liked it. And then we had this, um... So if you've ever seen... Um... The movie with John Cusack and Jack Black... Where they work champion, champion vinyl, championship vinyl... Um, they had this thing where they would try to sell as many copies of a particular album that they could by playing it in store. So this is a game that we played. Uh, we played it at Tower, but it's easier to do in a small store. So we played. The, there was a game that played at Tower. Now, mind you, I used to work primarily on the first floor on the weekends. I would take shifts from other people and work on the second floor. So on the second floor, you'd play the music that people are hearing and they would come to the counter and ask what it is and you would sell it. But if you're in a like a smaller store, like an independent store, it's easier to do. There's not that much space. There were three floors of tower. So I worked at a place uh, when I worked at Newberry Comics. That was something that was easier to do, although it was a bigger store. It was all like one it, at the time, now it's a it's three floors now, at the new location. But at the location I worked at, which was there for like forty years, um, it was all on the same floor, even though it was huge. So you would come to the counter, ask what it was, and you would buy it, and like point to the thing that we're actually playing in store. Whereas when I worked at a place called CD Spins, which was down the street. A few doors down the street. They had several locations. They had the one on Newberry Street. They had another one on Church um, Church Street in um, Cambridge, right in Harvard Square. But they had another location that I helped open up 
in downtown crossing on Winter Street. And we used to play this game where we would look at a CD. And again, it's a UCD store. So you have five copies of something. Hey, I'm going to sell all five of these. Come on. How long? And it's like, name that tune, but a different version. It's like, I could sell all five of these in 45 minutes. 45 minutes? Yeah. So, for real? Yeah. All right, fine. Right down to bed. <clears throat> Waits for people to come in. Press play. Cross your arms. Look. Wait for people's heads to nod. Oh, what's this? This is Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much is it? Oh, $5.99. Oh, really? I'll tell you what. I'll take that. All right, cool. Next track comes on. What record is this? Tell them. Buy it. You sell out like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one, good one, good one, good one. Good one. You write it on the board. Because what we also did was, at the time, we had a, a, a notebook. And we wrote down every sale and the price next to it. And that was our bookkeeping for the store. Then at the end of the day, we would tally up everything and then write it and circle it, the number. And then we would do the drop at the end of the night. If you've ever been on um, Winter Street in Boston, there was a bank right there. So our bank was right next to the store. And we had the night deposit box. You just take it, you just drop the box, and then we just went home. And I would walk home. I think I walked. I could walk home from pretty much everywhere I worked at that stretch of time. Include the movie theater, which no longer exists. Now it's like a King's or a Summer Shack. Yeah, I could pretty much just walk minutes everywhere. I, I could never be. I never had an excuse for being late to work because, like, dude, you live right there. <sighs> Beauty of living in the city in my neighborhood near everything but the record store days those were great those were amazing and one of the things they were talking about at General Assembly in the panel was that no matter what kind of data or metadata or um, predictive analytics we have in music we can't um, do what humans can in terms of creating music or uh, isolating the things about music that affect us on an emotional level. Like, there's no way to get AI or uh, a computer or any kind of um, algorithm to be able to account for that. The human part. Uh, One of the guys was talking about uh, trying to find a way to make it so that you could have um, an algorithm that could figure out parts in video games where the music should change or accentuate elements of the film. Like if thunder, if thunder cracks, something should change in the song. Or if something happens on screen, it should change. These are things that happen when you're um when you score a film, when you score a film and you're scoring a film by hand. You can do this. 
And he was talking about they can't get AI to do that, which is a relief for me. But very interesting that this is something that uh, they were actually looking to do. As much, again, as much as like I love music and it's changed my life and it's informed the person I am. And as important as data is to helping people discover it or artists to figure out what to do going forward in order to better their careers. I kind of have the same stance I do with sports. I think oftentimes people look too much at numbers and not enough at like using the eye test or the feel which is something that no algorithm can ever account for an algorithm can spit out a playlist sure and I don't want to use the word curation because it's been mangled and killed and used to death by those who don't know how to curate but do it anyway but having someone who actually understands and knows music inside and out create a playlist that might actually resonate with somebody versus trying to uh, leave that strictly to a, a an algorithm or a, a predictive analytics or just use data that you have in order to hope that it can come up with something similar I'm always going to put that in the hands of a person but I'm not going to trust just anybody to do it and I don't care how many followers you have on Instagram or Twitter if you don't actually know music I'll never trust you to do anything in it all right, so I've gone 45 minutes and I'm not even entirely sure that anything I did made sense. But I'm going to stop here. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If not, I'll do better next week. And if I don't do better next week, I'll do better next week.